Hi guys, Talisha from the Progressive Podiatry Project here. And today we're going to be talking about how we can monitor load in rehabilitation. Now, there's a massive gap that exists in the world of rehabilitation as far as allied health practitioners go when it comes to the acute and subacute phases of rehabilitation. I think we've got that pretty home and hosed with how we do manage these. But then there seems to still be this gap between rehabilitating someone to a point where they may be ready to return to play, but then actually being ready to return to play. That's where this gap exists. So I feel that, and there's a lot of conversation about this in recent times, where allied health practitioners, if we're to improve our rehabilitation outcomes, we really should be drawing on some of the strength and conditioning principles that exist and some of the fantastic strength and conditioning coaches out there that are actually applying this knowledge. And we, if we can draw on that information, we can hopefully get better outcomes. So when it comes to the development of especially chronic musculoskeletal conditions, but it does apply to acute injuries as well, but it's essentially when these injuries develop, it's when there's an imbalance between load and capacity. So an applied load exceeds a tissue or the body's capacity to tolerate said load. And when this imbalance exists, that's when injuries occur. So then when it comes to rehabilitation then and load in general, if we're applying load in a certain way, we can trigger positive adaptation. So in an injury risk reduction perspective or from strength and conditioning when they're looking at performance, they're applying external loads, which is stress. The body adapts to that stress, they improve and performance improves. But on the flip side to that, if the applied stress is exceeding the tissue's capacity, then we start to head into the deleterious effects where injuries may develop. Now, when it comes to external loads, that is something that allied health practitioners and strength and conditioning coaches alike are pretty familiar with. And that's where our adaptations to performance, they're determined by a combination of training volume, intensity and frequency, which results in our training load. And so for us as health practitioners, when it comes to exercise prescription for injury management, this would be our exercise dosage. So within this, we've got the selection of our exercise and then the sets, reps, frequency, tempo, uh, rest breaks, all of those factors will make up our dose, which is our external load. Now, when it comes to internal loads, which is what we're going to focus on today, and that's often a key area that is missed in rehabilitation, but is probably one of the biggest drivers for how you can help your clients get positive outcomes from your rehabilitation programs. Now, when it comes to internal loads, internal loads are the associated physical, psychological, and biomechanical stresses that are responses to the applied external loads. Now, there's a myriad of factors that will actually influence how our body responds. And this can be things like sleep, nutrition, occupational factors, family factors, life stress, and just our general well-being. All of these will impact how our body and our tissues respond to applied external loads. Now, when it comes to measures of internal loads, in strength and conditioning, they will often use rate of perceived exertion, or RPE, in addition to heart rate and heart rate variability. Now, a really good example of measures of internal load was, I'll just give you this little story, was I was running in a half marathon over the weekend, and for probably 
15, 16 kilometres of this race, my RPE was sitting at about 7 out of 10. So I was quite, I was working, but I was comfortable. And what I was doing this morning was I was looking through my metrics because when I was racing, I was wearing a heart rate monitor and I've got my Garmin. So having a look at pace and elevation, everything like that. So what was interesting was I was going through my data post-race and then actually thinking back and reflecting on how I was feeling during the race. And my RPE and my heart rate very much married up with my performance during the race. So it was around this sort of 15, 16 kilometre mark that my RPE, like flicking a switch, we went from a 7 out of 10, we crept up to pretty well a 9 out of 10 almost instantly. And then the last two kilometres, my RPE, it felt like it was an 11 out of 10. It was off the chart. I was not doing well. And what was really interesting was when I was looking at my heart rate data especially, where once things started to internally feel really difficult for me and my RPE was creeping up, my heart rate was also creeping up as well. But you would think it would be going the other way, considering at that point in the race, I was starting to run downhill. So normally what would happen in that situation, if I wasn't hitting a wall, starting to hit the downhill, my speed would likely, or my pace would pick up a little bit, my heart rate would drop a little bit, but it did the opposite. We were running downhill, but I was slowing down a little bit. My RPE went through the roof and so did my heart rate. So that's a, to me, really good example. And it was quite interesting reflecting on, oh, this is how I was feeling during the race. And this is internally what my body was responding to those external loads, which was the fact that I was running and running at a certain pace. Now, that's just circumventing a little bit, but a good example of RPE and heart rate, measures of internal load that is often used in sports performance and strength and conditioning. Now, when it comes to rehabilitation and the type of client that I'm going to talk about just now is probably more what most practitioners would be dealing with, which is our more acute slash subacute musculoskeletal conditions or those conditions that are probably a bit more chronic but more reactive in nature. So with this, think of our plantar fasciopathy, our Achilles tendonitis or tendinopathy, those types of pathologies and then the exercises that we're prescribing for them. Now, rate of perceived exertion for these pathologies can be quite effective, but oftentimes you're finding that the clients that you're dealing with in the exercises that you're prescribing it especially in the early stages when the external loads or the dosage of the exercise may not be quite high as far as challenging heart rate or RPE. Another metric that we can use is VASP or the visual analog scale of pain. Now, I'm not sure how many of you do use this, but I find that this is one of the most effective ways to improve our clients' just awareness of their body help them with their self-efficacy as far as being able to self-monitor and self-dose their load. And it also becomes a really, really good tool to get them more familiar with their body and assist in their long-term management of their pathology. Because as we know, a lot of the times, plantar heel pain and Achilles tendinopathy presentations, it doesn't follow a linear path from I've sought treatment and then I'm just going to get better. It will ebb and flow up and down. And the older someone is, the likelihood that it will flare off and on over time does increase. 
Now, drawing on a little bit of literature, how we can use the VASP for self-dosing and self-monitoring musculoskeletal pathologies in regards to our rehabilitation, we'll look at the Michael Rathleff paper. The, the, I think the original one was published in 2015 on high load strengthening for plantar fasciopathy. And then a few years later, there was a follow-up study. So in the first study, it was a relatively strict protocol of this is the dose. You do this exercise, this number of sets, this number of repetitions. And then the follow-up paper a few years later, it compared self-dosing to the prescribed dosing amount. And what was interesting was over three, six, and I think then later on it was nine months, there wasn't actually much of a difference at all, at least to a clinically significant level, as far as people's responses and how they improved. Both groups that were doing the either prescribed or the self-dosed intervention, they did improve. And what was also interesting was the satisfaction of the people that were self-dosing, that was that little bit higher. So getting this is, um, or what we can take away from this, is if we are able to give people the tools and the knowledge and the resources and how they can self-dose, self-monitor, and just have that little bit more control over how their exercises are progressing and how they're being dosed, it may actually make the rehabilitation experience just that little bit more positive. And especially in the cases of chronic musculoskeletal pathologies, every little positive gain can actually have a huge impact later on down the track. So how can we use the VASP to dose and educate our clients when it comes to our rehabilitation exercise prescriptions? So just bear in mind with this information, I do tailor it very specific to the individual sitting in front of me because it's not just these are the numbers that we're working with. There will be a large educational element that comes with it and it will just, I'll bounce off the client. But this will hopefully give you some insight in how you can utilize the VASP to help dose and monitor your clients, build that rapport, build their self-efficacy and hopefully set the framework for achieving a really good treatment outcome. So with the VASP, I'll often give them a handout that's got the traffic light system. Now remember in this example, I am talking about chronic plantar heel pain or Achilles tendinopathy that's been around for a while. So what I'll do with the traffic light system and the numbers, I typically will explain zero to three, we're good to go. Then if we're going say four to six, caution is warranted. And if we're hitting a seven or above or seven to 10 out of 10, as far as pain goes, we need to back it off and then maybe regroup with me and we'll see how we're going. So how we'll use this is I will explain to them that the pathway to recovery from these musculoskeletal pathologies very rarely is linear. There is always going to be ebbs and flows. You'll have some days where the pain is a bit worse. You'll have some other days where the pain just feels like, oh my God, I haven't felt this good for quite a while. And just educating them how they can dose in relation to this and monitor themselves. So when it comes to them approaching their exercise, I'll tell them that their baseline is their baseline. So on that particular day, if you're starting the exercises and your discomfort just prior to starting the exercise regime is say a two out of 10, that two becomes your baseline. So when you're doing your exercises, once you hit that sort of caution area, so we're hitting to four or five out of 10, you'll stop the number of repetitions at that point. So say ideally we want them to be doing 
15 repetitions of a single leg calf raise and that day they start their exercises at a 2 out of 10, they may get to 6 or 7 repetitions and then it jumps to that 4 or 5 out of 10. I tell them to stop at that number of repetitions, then they rest and then when it's time to do the next set, they go again. The other thing I'll tell them is if it hasn't reset back to that baseline, so that day if it was a 2 out of 10 and it hasn't reset back to that, if it still remains at, say, that 4 or 5 out of 10, give it a little bit longer before you attempt the exercise exposure again. For some people, that particular day, it may be 8 hours before they can do it again. Other times, they may not be able to attempt it until the next day. In other instances, it may be two or three minutes. But again, it's just giving them that information, how they can tune into their body, get that awareness happening, and then they can self-dose themselves in accordance to what their body's internal metrics are telling them. Now, some of the other ways that we can use the VASP is it gives us some information on when we may be ready to push the envelope a little bit and progress their exercises. So this may be in the mornings, their VASP has been consistently, say, a three or four out of 10 with that first step pain. But then after two or three weeks of doing their exercises, we've dropped down to, say, a one or two out of 10. And then the duration that that pain is around in the morning has significantly dropped as well. So that tells us that the body is adapting. So we may be able to push the envelope and then introduce some higher load exercises to hopefully creep us further towards the therapeutic goal or the long-term therapeutic goal that we're after. And one important thing to educate your clients about is whenever we are dealing with a reactive or an injured musculoskeletal tissue, as soon as we apply some extra load, so additional load progress to the exercises, the body will likely go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And we may see a little bit of a jump in that VASP scale. But again, it's another good treatment tool and way to help a educate and B, improve their awareness is giving them that heads up that we're going to increase the load, which means your body may respond with an elevated level of discomfort, but revert back to, okay, during the exercise, this is our baseline creep up to here and over time we'll be able to improve the amount of sets and repetitions and keep moving you forward progressing to where we want to get you. So hopefully that's given you a little bit of an insight in how we as health practitioners can draw on some strength and conditioning principles, tweak them slightly to the types of clients that we're dealing with and give you some tools that you can hopefully achieve better exercise outcomes for your clients. Now, if you would like a free resource to help guide you through the exercise prescription process when it comes to formulating an exercise program for your clients with musculoskeletal pathologies, we have the Movement Prescription Blueprint. I developed the blueprint after dozens of consultations and coaching sessions with other allied health professionals, and over time I've identified three key elements that were often being missed by these practitioners when it came to formulating their exercise programs. So what the blueprint does is it's designed to be utilized during the consultation process and it guides you through the questions that you should be asking, the elements that you need to consider when it comes to formulating your exercise programs. So if you'd like this resource, the link will be down below or you can head to progressivepodiatryproject.com forward slash blueprint and you can download the resource there. So that's going to do it for today. It's Talisha from P3. Hopefully I've given you some insights in how I can help you help your clients achieve great outcomes.